Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning into this episode of Our More Perfect Union podcast. I'm your host, Marin Bickmeyer-Shot, and as promised on our last episode, today we will be talking about treason. And this is a word we hear a lot lately. In fact, I have some headlines here that I'm going to go ahead and read out. But this episode is going to be exploring what treason is historically and what it looks like today. So these are just some news headlines from uh, really the past year. So is Trump treasonous? Treason will be punished. That's from the Washington Times. No defense of Trump's treason travesty. The Daily Beast. Hate preachers should be jailed for treason. Russian researcher held on charges of treason. Michael Flynn's judge suggested he might be guilty of treason. Or... A president falsely charges treason. And these are just a few of the many. I'm going to go ahead and just start with a dictionary definition of what treason is. Uh, The crime of betraying one's country, especially by attempting to kill the sovereign or overthrow the government. And now for the constitutional definition which comes from Article 3, Section 3. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or in confession in open court. The Congress shall have the have power to declare the punishment of treason, but no attainer of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person attained. And so with those two pieces, we have a pretty good idea of what defines treason, you know, what it looks like on paper. But when we think about treason, at least specifically treason in the United States, I feel like at least for me and for most people I've talked to, there's one figure that just comes to everyone mind, everyone's mind, and that's Benedict Arnold. So I wanted to start my inquiry into treason in the United States with him. He wasn't the first traitor necessarily, but he is perhaps the most notor- notorious and uh, Often, you know, people have conflicting opinions about whether he was just, he was painted that way or if he really was, you know, a cold-hearted traitor. Anyway, so just a little bit of personal history on him so you get a picture of of who he was. (coughs) So he was born in Connecticut in 1741, and he was actually a descendant of one of the early governors of Rhode Island, um, although later his family suffered financial ruin. Um, and so he didn't grow up in a wealthy family. Um, his father was a drunk, supposedly, and wasn't really around. Um, and both his sisters and brother died of fever at relatively young ages. He was sort of sort of coined as a troublemaker um, when he was younger. and was actually pulled out of school um, to become an apprentice 
to a family member who was an apothecary. Um, pretty young, he joined up the with the French-Indian War effort, um, but he also worked as an apothecary during that time. Um, he began, he traveled to Europe um, and got involved in some smuggling. Um, and so that was his sort of first stray down the darker path, however you want to say that. Um, uh, but then he uh, joined up with the military. This is even before the Revolutionary War has started. Um, he, throughout his life, like, was frequently branded uh, a bit of a hothead and was known for his, his temper. So then during the Revolutionary War effort, um, he was really sort of a war hero. I mean, he was very valiant on the field and helped lead um, the Americans to several victories. Um, and he was especially excited about the idea of moving into Canada and taking that land. Um, however, he kept getting passed over um, when it came to promotions, uh, specifically moving on to major general. And so several of you know those in the military who were below him would get promoted faster than he was getting promoted. And it really irked him, and it was constantly a sticking point um, throughout his whole career, actually. And he never really seemed to get along with the other soldiers, um, whether it was those actually in his command um, or those who he was, you know, under the supervision of. Um, and, and there was constantly, you know, allegations against him, and then he would charge someone else with something, and it was just this constant back and forth. He never had a smooth career. Um, and then finally, much later, um, Washington did actually promote him to major general. However, um, he faced so much insubordination and just disrespect, um, from those who'd been promoted faster than him that in 1777, he actually resigned his position as major general. And then a new position opened up and he wanted his post back, um, and Congress, actually voted against reinstating him to his former position. And that was something that he would just, he would go on to resent his entire career. And it was, it hurt his pride so much. Supposedly, he never got over it. And then from then on, you know, his rank in the military just went back and forth depending on under who he was serving. Um, and so sometimes he was in command, sometimes he was not in command. Um, eventually, he injured his leg Again, rather, he re-injured his leg, um, and Washington appointed him uh, commandant of Philadelphia. Um, at this time, he married um, for the second time, actually, but his wife, Peggy Shippen, would actually go on to have quite a big impact on his career and future endeavors. Um, what was unique about her, or specific, um, her father was a loyalist, um, or you might say he had, like, loyalist, loyalist leanings. Um, and so she was friends with someone who was called John Andre. Um, and he was in the British military and became friends, or at least colleagues, I suppose, um, with Benedict Arnold.
But uh, marrying Peggy did more than just introduce him to, um, you know, British society and the military. Um, she also brought him a much better social status. Um, and she was used to a very, you know, luxurious, elegant life, um, which he could not afford. And so he ended up in, you know, huge financial issues. Um, and it was thought that he then, you know, misused military supplies, um, I believe wagons um, and ships specifically. Um, and he was actually court-martialed for this. And this is where things really changed for him. A lot of people viewed um, his court-martialing as um, just like a political show, a public smearing um, put on by John Reed. Um, but then lots of people also were quite certain that he really was, you know, misusing these things. Um, but he didn't have a lot of friends. Nobody really supported him that much anyway, although he did seem to remain a, a favorite of Washington throughout, obviously, and until he switched sides. So in, or after 1779, when he was court-martialed, um, the British military stepped in um, by way of John Andre, um, and they offered Benedict Arnold um, 10,000 pounds and a commission in the British military in return for Arnold um, delivering West Point to the British. And he did. However, he also managed to escape capture um, and spent the rest of his life living mainly between uh, Canada and England. Um, he never got the command he was promised in the British military, um, although he did get the money. Um, and he was never trusted again, um, not even by the British. Um, and of course, he's gone down in history as one of the most notorious American traitors of all time. I feel like his story is important because, you know, like I said, he's the figure we all think of when, you know, we're, we're talking about treason. Um, but when you ask people, not that many people actually know his story or exactly what happened or what he did or why he was a traitor. Um, and they certainly don't know all the things he did before that. I wouldn't say he's a controversial figure, but there definitely are um, people who paint him as a wrong, wronged man. Um, and obviously those who do otherwise. But I want to do more than just explore one man's story. Um, and I want to talk about some of like the lesser known, um, I guess, traitors in American history. Um, and so this, th this one, someone who before I did my research for this episode, I had never heard of them before. Um, so William Mumford uh, was convicted of treason um, in New Orleans during the Civil War. Um, and so, essentially, he was upset that the American flag um, had been put up in replacement of the Confederate flag. Um, so he climbed up the flagpole and switched them. He was tried and convicted of treason and in 
1862, he was executed. Um, actually, in the same town square where he switched the flags. Now, I could probably fill an entire episode just talking about treason during and after World War II and going into espionage. Um, but I won't. Uh, not in this episode. I'll save that for another. Um, but I do want to focus on this one World War II era story because I, I do feel like it's a little bit... And that is the story of Tomoya Kawakita. Um, and he was a dual Japanese-American citizen. Um, he became an interpreter um, in Japan um, during World War II after he was stranded there, um, specifically in the POW camps. Um, and while working in the camps, um, he was said to have tortured American POWs um, and, quote, devised despicable methods of tormenting them. And then later back in the U.S., um, he was charged with 15 counts of um, treason. Uh, but then in 1953, uh, Eisenhower reduced the sentence, which was to death. Um, he reduced it to life in prison. And then later, JFK um, relieved him of that and essentially just banished him from the United States. Um, a couple other cases I want to talk about. Um, actually, there's just, yes, two. Um, there was a lot of talk um, during the Vietnam War um, that Jane Fonda, the actress, um, should be accused of treason, and she was, you know, um, you know, on TV and by, and by people in the street, but never in a court of law. Um, and so she was never obviously prosecuted um, for that. But that was a case that, you know, was a very uh, public thing. And then, so now I want to zoom out quite a bit um, and just talk about, you know, treason more generally. Um, throughout U.S. history, um, less than 30 people have ever been convicted of treason. Um, and additionally, it's the only federal law to be, um, you know, explicitly stated in the Constitution. And therefore, it's one of those things that, um, because of the express way it's stated in the Constitution, um, it can only be altered by a constitutional amendment, which obviously is something that doesn't happen very often and it's extremely difficult to do. Um, I mean, can you imagine right now if someone tried to introduce a constitutional amendment changing the way we define treason and the way that's enforced and people are charged with it, all of that? Um, that would be incredibly radical. But because there have been so few modern cases um, where treason has been prosecuted, um, some law schools actually have taken it out of their criminal law curriculums, which I thought was really interesting um, that law schools actually think that treason has just sort of 
become obsolete. And it's so rare that we have cases with it that it's not actually a helpful thing for lawyers to know anymore, um, which is so interesting to me. So there are two things that I thought were particularly um, important to add um, regarding the more, you know, legal side um, of treason. And the first is um, intent to betray. So when we, you know, publicly make these calls or claims that someone is acting, you know, in a treasonous manner, um, it is really such an empty claim unless you can prove that they had intent to betray their country, our country. Um, and this was one of those things, um, you know, a lot of people wanted to call, you know, Edward Snowden um, a traitor. But, um, you know, most lawyers would say that, you know, they couldn't prove, it could be argued, but not well enough to prove that he really did have um, enough, you know, he didn't have an intent to betray his country. Um, certainly not to another foreign power. It might have been a result, but it wasn't his intent. And then the second thing um, is mens rea, which is essentially like the state of mind of the person committing the crime. Um, and this, this was a really important part of um, the John Walker Lind case. Um, which is a more contemporary case that brings up, you know, this idea of is it treason or is it brainwashing, um, which comes up more and more uh, in regards to extremism, um, whether, you know, political or uh, religious and I guess really where the two intersect. Um, and so he was not you know, convicted of treason, obviously, because it ended up being more of a brainwashing thing. They Okay, so now you know a lot about treason. You know, a fair number of people who throughout U.S. history have either almost been convicted of treason, definitely convicted of treason, um, and all the variations in between. Um, what now? Why is this important? That's what this podcast is about, relating it to modern day. What, why is this important to know? I think it's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's a word that's being used a lot in our daily lives, in the news. Um, you can't really turn on the TV or, you know, read through your news updates without having it come up somewhere. So I think on a very basic level, it's important to understand the vocabulary that's being thrown around um, and really understand it in a deep, you know, sense and in a historical sense that puts it in context. And so, you know, while it's being used so almost lightly, I mean, it's used by our president often, um, but also, you know, those who are alleging him of treason. Um, and yet, it's something that lawyers, um, or at least young lawyers at certain schools, are learning less and less about. 
So I think understanding why is that um, and making sure that we have an understanding of what it is um, so that when either we hear someone else using that word or when we choose to use it ourselves, um, we understand exactly what we're saying um, and what that means in the context of his. So, but here is what is really interesting to me um, about treason. Um, so it's really particularly how it is unique um, in the Constitution in, like, its explicitness. Um, because the men who wrote the document, um, they were themselves traitors to England. Um, and so I think it's an interesting thing that they chose to make that so specific, so limited, um, when they drafted this new document and founded this new nation. And obviously there is so, so much more to cover on this topic, um, and I could never hope to get it all. But I at least hope that I've given you a brief overview, a little bit better understanding um, of what this word means, what the concept means. Um, if not, feel free um, to comment. Um, and I would love to hear why you think that this is an important thing to know, or maybe why you think it's not important um, and is essentially useless knowledge that you now have. Um, so feel free to sound off in the comments. Um, but either way, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, please go ahead and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Our More Perfect Pod. Um, and also go ahead and head over to our website also armoreperfectpod.com um, if you're interested in guest hosting with me. Um, I would love to hear from you. All right. Thanks for listening.